The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Tonight, as we begin our Lenten series, we're going to be looking at two different fruits. The first fruit, one which led to death, and the second one, fruit which leads to life. God said to Adam in the garden, right after the world was made, on the day that you eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, you shall surely die. A solemn warning in scripture, if there ever was one, clear as a bell. He could eat of any other tree that he wanted, any tree at all, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one had God's threat and promise with it. If you ate of that one, death would come into the world. Now, the pain on creation was barely dry, and the devil was there right away, casting doubt on God, the one who had created it all, and God's word along with it. And he says to the woman, who had been told this command from Adam, her husband, did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, we know how it plays out. It's an old story, one that we're familiar with. At the time, to the woman, after this exchange with the devil and after his reasoning with her and her giving in to the reasoning, the benefits of eating of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden seemed to outweigh the consequences. She saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and yes, to be desired to make one wise. How could it be bad? And so she ate of it and gave some to her husband who was with her. And then they found out immediately after that how serious God was with his threats about what would happen. Paul says it so clearly later on, thousands of years later in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin, well, that is death. Mortality for Adam, Eve, and all their descendants, and indeed the pristine world in which God had placed them was the result. God curses man and the world and promises death as its inheritance. And he says as much in the garden to them when he's doling out the punishment. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the result is a sad one. Exiled from our true home, where we were meant to be, live, and prosper. Sent out of the garden, separated from the tree of life, the good tree. And sadly, as many years and generations as we are removed from those first parents, we ourselves do know better. Since Eden, mankind has not stopped eating of the fruit that leads to death, have we? In fact, if you really just want to play out history and characterize it in some way, world history, national history, individual history, our own lives, it just sort of seems like we keep having a reenactment, a replaying of that rebellion, that punishment and that sorrow of Eden. Think about it. Think your own life. You see something that you want. God's word says, no, not this, not now, not in this amount. And 
Satan then in our mind, or in our heart, says, taunts us really, says, does God really say to us individually? We think to ourselves and we reason just as the woman did. Well, what's one bite going to do? What's one bite going to hurt? We know the commandments. We know God's will. We know it from our conscience. We know it from the word of God, which tells us explicitly what they are. We know the requirements and the consequences of disobeying our Lord. Yet how quickly do we ourselves throw caution to the wind and ignore God's warnings, pretend that he's either silent about whatever the thing that we want is or pretend that he just isn't really that serious about saying no to us. We are kind of like, in that way, little children testing their parents, seeing how much that they can get away with. We are hardly different. We test God, do we not? How much can I do? How far can I go without any consequences coming to me? We are not, in fact, by our natural selves, content with what God has given to us. We're not content to stay inside the bounds of his holy will for us, his holy law. And so, in the moment, we rationalize to ourselves, don't we? We renegotiate, as it were, with God, we think, but really it's just a mirror. And like it was for Adam and Eve, that path, every time we walk down it, ends badly for us, does it not? It was badly for them and how they were exiled and brought death into the world and why we, with them, go back to the dust from whence we came. When our first parents needed, once the deed was done, it was not a time machine. It was done and no such thing exists. Of course not. What they needed was not to sow better fig leaves around themselves. No, what was needed in Genesis was so obvious even from then, chapter 3 onward, what they needed was a savior. And that's what we need every day of our lives too. They needed, and we need, one who will rescue us from the consequences of our little reenactings of the rebellion in Eden. One who will undo the spiritual train wreck wrought by our sin and disobedience. One who's going to crush once and for all the serpent's head and open the way back to paradise and the tree of life. Of course, friends, we have that one in Jesus Christ. For us men and for our salvation, as we say in the creed, the new and the better Adam came into this world, and what did he do? He said no to the devil's temptations, no to the serpent. Rather than eating the forbidden fruit of earthly power and glory that was offered to him in his own temptation after tonight's gospel, Jesus did what? He fasted and refused to indulge and satisfy the very real passions and hungers of his human nature. For 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus was content to live by the word of God. And what's more, he did it for us. He did it for you. That is what Lent is all about, the Savior for us in our place. We smear ashes on our foreheads tonight to remember the Garden, Eden, and its consequences, that we are dust going back to dust, but we also remember this, that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins 
Only the Son of God, Jesus Christ, could do that. Who bore our sins to the tree, not of the garden, but of the cross. Taking the Father's wrath that we are justly meriting in our place. Doing this so that Adam's children, all of us, might live. So that, once we do return to the dust, which we inevitably will, it's not going to be the end for us. Jesus drank the cup of suffering and suffered death itself, tasted even death, so that we could have access ourselves, you and me, to the tree of life. So beautifully described again in the book of Revelation. And it's an access that you and I and every Christian has when we come to the altar of God for the gift of Holy Communion. And the sacrament of the altar that we have, we receive the salvation of God and Jesus Christ. That's the gift of communion. This fruit of communion, this food of communion. It also does come to us from a tree, but this time it is the tree of Calvary, the tree of the cross. In, with, and under the bread and wine, what do we have but nothing less than the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, given, broken, poured out, for poor, miserable sinners, for forgiveness. Where what Adam and Eve ate in the garden brought death into the world, what we eat in Holy Communion brings us life, an eternal life at that. Whenever Christians eat and drink in repentance and faith, we receive the renewed gift and promise of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. The Jesus who said to the multitude, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The sacrament of the altar, communion, whatever you want to call it, it's not an impressive thing to the eyes, or even really the senses, the tastes. Not at least in the way that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to Eve in that moment. But Eve taught us something, whether or not she knew it at the time. She taught us that... Our senses deceive us. Our eyes don't always tell us the whole picture. What looks good often isn't. And what looks like nothing often is so, so much more. The world likes to mock the cross and what it represents, what we as Christians believe. Paul even tells us they think it's folly. And it even mocks us Christians for being so devoted to this act of Jesus' last will and testament. Do this in remembrance of me. But who cares? We hold on instead to what the world thinks. We hold on instead to what Jesus says. His words, which don't lie, this is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So tonight on Ash Wednesday, as you take a little bit of time to hopefully think about your sins and to mourn them, to contemplate your own mortality and embark on this Lenten journey, which we do every year, I want you to remember also your gracious God and this blessed gift that he has given to you. The same God who excommunicated Adam and Eve from the garden now invites you, his, their grandchildren, to his blessed table. Our first parents ate and died, but we eat and live. Amen.